I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back to Living Better in San Diego. I'm Vicki Pepper. If you love your pets, you probably assume that your veterinarian has a dream job, right? I mean, he or she gets to interact with animals all day. What you may not realize is that behind the scrubs might lie a doctor who is in crisis, even suicidal. Sandy Weaver, program director of the Center for Workplace Happiness, has just published a book that speaks directly to pet owners and shares what they can do to help solve the problem of veterinary suicide. It's called Happy Vet happy pet caring for your pet's caregiver thank you for joining me sandy Vicki, thank you so much for the invitation, and even more importantly, thank you for helping spread the word. Happy to do it. And we are going to be talking about something very serious in this interview, but I kind of want to start with something light. Uh, Sandy, you're a husky mom. Tell us about your furry friends. Oh, my gosh. I have Siberian huskies. They have actually owned me for 40, 41 years this year. I can't even believe I'm 41 years old, but I must be. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have Siberians. Love, 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 love dogs. Anything having to do with dogs. Any kind of dog i don't care akc all kinds combined i don't care it doesn't matter i stole that line from dave barry by the way (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah so siberians to me i always wanted one growing up and we were a military family so we moved a lot and we had a small dog and i think dad used the moving a lot as an excuse to not ever have a dog that was much bigger than a you know chihuahua or so so he said you know whenever you have a house of your own you can have whatever kind of dog you want so I took him up on that. When I was out on my own, I got my first Siberian, and I have not ever been without one since. That is remarkable because they aren't for everyone. They aren't for everyone, but then most dogs aren't, and even dogs aren't for everyone. But they're fun. You know, I don't, they're bred to run 30 feet in front of you all day long pulling a sled. And so if you let them go, it's not their fault the sled's not back there with you on it. They're still doing their job. They're running, you know, kind of like trying to keep a lab out of a pond. You know, if you get a lab close to water, the water gravity is going to suck them right in because that's what they were bred to do. And so the same thing with the Siberian. And, you know, the other thing is shedding. And you just don't wear a lot of black knit and uh, you have to own a good vacuum cleaner. I'm a cat mom, so I understand that all too well. So you get that, yes. <laughs> and and what you might not know is that Siberian personality is very cat-like. Really? They're very cat-like, yes. They're independent. They want to love you, but on their terms not necessarily yours. And 
and they will please you if it pleases them to do it. Well, Sandy, in early 2019, the CDC released a report on veterinary suicide, and some of those statistics were pretty alarming. Can you tell us about those? Wow, yes. It actually has long been anecdotally known that the suicide rate among veterinarians was very high. And the CDC did a very long-term study. I think the study spanned veterinary deaths over the course of about 36 years. And they looked and they found that in small animal practice, and that's pets, that's you know not food animals, not dairy animals, not large animals, in small animal practice, which is our veterinarians, the ones who see cats and dogs and birds and gerbils, uh, the suicide rate for male veterinarians is 2.1% times more likely than the overall population. And for female veterinarians, it's 3.5 times more likely than the general population. That is a staggering amount of stress and pain and loss in our veterinarians. So I saw that and immediately knew I had to do something. So the book, this book is part of it. And why do you think that is? The high rate of suicide in veterinarians? Yeah. It's a lot of things. First of all, understand that suicide is like like turning a key in a lock. All the tumblers have to line up in exactly the right place at exactly the right time in order for the lock to open, right? So suicide is the same thing. The stressors could all be there in the in one person, but not everything's lining up at the same time, so you won't get a suicide. So the good news is that um, 95% of people who think about suicide will never, ever attempt it. of those who get to the point of suicidal desperation and are ready to attempt suicide either will chicken out, which is a terrible phrase, but I'm going to say it anyway. They won't act on it or they're going to be interrupted in the process. So most people who are thinking about suicide or even get to the point of suicide don't actually succeed at suicide. So that's the good news. I want to start with the good news there. But veterinarians have a lot of reasons that they're more prone to suicide, and it starts with who they are. Broad brush painting veterinarians, they're perfectionists. They're very hard on themselves when they make a mistake. They are very slow to ask for help. They feel like they should be able to handle things themselves. They're slow to share their own feelings, and their career is not just a job. It is a calling and a passion. So when something goes wrong, it feels much bigger in their life than it might in yours or my life. So that's part of it. And then part of it is what they do besides working with the animals. Now, the thing about, I love that you started off saying that they like to work with puppies. You know, we all think they work with puppies and kittens all day, and it's a dream job. Well, most of the animals that come in are very stressed, and they're not on their best behavior. So the starting right off, the vet has patients who are uncooperative, so that's difficult too. But what they want to do is help animals. So working with the patient is like the ice cream of their job even when the patients aren't on their best behavior. But they have to manage people, and they have to referee staff staff, and they have to run a business, and they they have, most of them have a family, and they have a hard time, harder than most people, finding a balance where family time is concerned. And then a big piece of it is how clients behave. And a lot of times we really don't understand the damage that we're doing, and we certainly don't mean to be doing harm, but we don't behave really well sometimes. But that was the reason I wrote this book. For that last reason, to help pet owners who go to their veterinarians understand who their vet is at a really deep level, understand what stresses them out, and then understand just really what they can do, that three simple steps to take to quit stressing their vet out. So what makes someone decide to become a veterinarian? Like you said, it's a calling. Yeah, it is a calling. And they usually decide when they're about 
average 12 years old. And so a 12-year-old that wants to be a veterinarian understands already that they get to work with animals. That's the passion piece of it. And they might do a little research, well, what does it take to be a veterinarian? Getting into vet school is much harder than getting into medical school, in large part because there are half as many vet schools as there are medical schools, so the competition is very tough. So they would know from a young age they've got to get great grades, they've got to get great scores on their SATs and PSATs, they've got to get, you know, they have to do really well on all the standardized tests, and they've got to spend their summers and their after-school hours working at animal shelters or with rescue groups or in veterinary hospitals so that they can show that they've got that devotion and they can have all that extra thing that you need to put into a college application to really be considered. So just getting into vet school is very difficult. They've wanted to be a vet since they're 12. They've been focused and driven since they were 12 to do this. And then they get into being a vet, and they realize it's not exactly what they thought it was going to be. I'm speaking with Sandy Weaver, author of Happy Vet, Happy Pet, Caring for Your Pet's Caregiver. Sandy, how do pet parents unintentionally mistreat their pet's caregivers? Oh, my gosh. And I want to just tell you right here that I am not, like, speaking from some lofty pulpit. I've had dogs for 40 years, and I have made all of the mistakes that I talk about in the book. And a lot of the mistakes that I tell you about are ones, I mean, I tell stories on myself. So I've done it too. We've all done it. The mistakes that we make are maybe treating the staff like they're the hired help instead of there to help your pet. Treating the vet like they're a commodity instead of like they are a partner in your beloved pet's health. Treating them just like they're, you know, like it's a transactional thing and complaining about prices or the worst thing probably that veterinarians complain about, well, not the worst thing that they complain about, but the thing that they probably see the most is we as pet owners are very non-compliant when it comes to following instructions. So here's a veterinarian who has dedicated their whole life since they were 12 to becoming a veterinarian, to going through school, and they give you really clear instructions on how to take care of this animal that they just want to help. And you go home and you're, you know, Fifi's tough to pill. So Fifi doesn't get the pills. And if Fifi doesn't get the pills, Fifi's not going to get any better. Instead of asking for help or going back and saying, hey, I'm having problems with the pills. Can you give me something else? Or is there a different way to, to give this medication? We're very non-compliant. So that's a big part of the problem. Disrespecting hospital hours, big part of the problem. And really just treating your vet like they're not important, like you're a customer instead of a client. It needs to be less of a business relationship and more of a professional partnership. Making that little twist in how you treat your vet will make a huge difference for them. So how else can pet parents help their veterinary team? You know, one of the things that uh, when I'm talking to groups of people and explaining this problem to them, one of the things that I everybody do, I take a whole bunch of thank you notes and I just let them pick whatever thank you note they want and I ask them to sit right there and write their veterinarian, and their staff a thank you note. That means so much to the team. And it doesn't even have to be for anything big. It can just be for, hey, thank you for having a really clean lobby when I come in. I really appreciate that. Or whatever. But remember to thank the people. Every now and then take a present by. A lot of people drop food by 
well, not so much in COVID times, but a lot of people drop food by at the holidays or send food at the holidays. They bring things by at Thanksgiving. They bring things by at Christmas. They bring things by at Valentine's. They bring things by if they know when the veterinarian's birthday is. And boy, let me give you a hint. That's a really good time to take a present to your veterinarian. And if they're on Facebook, you can find their birthday. No worries. Take presents by every now and then or send presents by. Let the people know there that that you're thinking about them and that you appreciate them. Sometimes I'll see something at an estate sale or even a flea market that makes me think about my veterinarian, and I buy it for her. And I just tell her, look, if you don't like this, you can re-gift it or just tell me you don't want it, and I'll just take it and donate it to Goodwill. No big deal. But I think about her, and and she likes the fact that I think about her. It makes her laugh. She's never told me she didn't want anything. Now, she might have re-gifted, and I don't care. It gave her a gift to give away. So doing things like that, just remembering that they are people in those scrubs. Those are human beings wearing those scrubs. Treat them like human beings. Treat them like they're your friend or somebody that you would like to have as a friend. Just remember they have feelings. How can we help someone we fear is nearing suicidal depression? Wow, that is a big question. And it's such a big question that an entire chapter of the book is devoted to it because I felt like it was really important not just to tell people that there's a problem with veterinary suicide, but to tell them what to do in case they're ever around a suicidal person. And it's not hard. It's really not. It's, it's a trust your gut kind of a thing. And I'm, I'm going to digress a little bit. I'm a citizen scientist in neuroscience, neuroplasticity, and positive psychology. So all of the things that I talk about in this book are underpinned by research in those divisions. And so when I'm talking about suicide, when I'm talking about how the brain works and and how people can get into a dark spiral, it's from an evidence-based place. And so when I say that it's as simple as opening your mouth and letting your caring heart come out of it, it's really just that simple. It's trusting your gut. Several years back, some researchers discovered that they thought the brain used to just talk to the intestinal tract through the blood system, you know, just that way. But no, it turns out that there are receptors in our intestinal tract that make it behave like a second brain. And that's what scientists have started calling our gut. They're calling it our enteric brain. So when you have a gut feeling that someone is hurting, trust your gut because it knows what it's talking about. You have picked up on something. An illustration that I use for people could let them know that they can trust their gut. Vicki, have you ever walked into a room where um, there are two people in the room and you didn't hear a fight and you didn't see an argument, but you know you have walked into a bunch of bad feelings? Have you ever had that experience? Yeah, it's super awkward. That's a gut feeling. So when you're around somebody that you feel like is really in distress, trust your gut because you've you've, you've been there. You know it. It's true. So all you need to do is trust your gut and then ask them if they're okay and then shut up and listen. And there's a million ways that you can ask them if they're okay. And most of them are good. There's one way that is really not what you want to say. You don't want to say, you're not thinking about doing something stupid, are you? (laughs) Because you give them no place to go in the conversation and you've been judgmental. So you've shut them down. They will not open up to you now. So for people who have really deeply held cultural or religious beliefs about suicide, 
I would ask you to please try to approach it not from that standpoint, but from a standpoint of understanding that in order to think about harming yourself, you have to be in a lot of pain. That's a lot of pain and a lot of helplessness and a lot of hopelessness. So if you can just connect to that and ask, hey, are, are you okay? You seem like you're in a really dark place. You want to talk about it? And then just shut up and listen. Because if they want to talk about it, you've given them the perfect opportunity. And most people who think that suicide is their only option don't want to do it. They don't want to. They just don't feel like they have another option. So all you have to do is just let them know they do. They can just listen to you. They can just talk to you. They can just feel your heart and talk to you. And if they want to just say a few words and then be quiet, just be quiet with them. Let them ruminate on whatever they're ruminating on. They might be trying to figure out how to say what they want to say or if they want to say what they want to say. If you're with them and they're quiet for a long time, just touch them, you know, like rub their arm or something. If you're on the phone with them and they're quiet for a long time, you can go, hey, are you still there? Didn't drop the call, did we? You know, something to make them just laugh and bring them back. But most of the time, you will not know that you have helped avert a suicide. That's got to be okay with you. But all you have to do is let your caring heart come out of your mouth. It is just that easy. Is there anything else you want us to know? Love everybody. Don't judge. Don't judge anybody. You're not walking in their shoes. And treat them like you want to be treated with respect and with dignity and with love. I've been speaking with Sandy Weaver, author of Happy Vet, Happy Pet, Caring for Your Pet's Caregiver. Sandy, where can we get your book? Any place books are sold. <laughs> it's pretty much everywhere. It's a paperback version. It's in an ebook version. If it's not out yet, it'll be out very shortly in an audiobook version. And you can also get it on my website, which is Center for Workplace Happiness. And as we wrap up this interview, I just want to share the suicide prevention hotline. It's 800-273-8255. Sandy, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you for sharing that, Vicki, and thank you for inviting me. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.